Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Alexis, vaya mano y el remate a gol de la Casse. 1-0 Arsenal, la Casse. Marca el delantero francés. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too. How are you doing? Do you have a good weekend, all yeah, in all? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I don't want to spend any time on small talk and waffle, though. I want to get straight into this. I think people need answers. They require answers to the big story of the day, which, of course, is what on earth is going on with Thierry Henry's beard? It glistens mm, like morning dew. It's, what, what's happening? What's going on there? I don't know. Has he got glitter in his beard? I mean, let me tell you, if you get glitter on you, it's very hard to get it off. A lesson I've learned painfully many times. From your glittery past? My glittery performing past. If you get glitter on your skin, you can have several showers and that glitter will affix itself to you. I don't know why. I don't know how. But maybe Thierry's just been somewhere very glittery. Maybe. Maybe. It is remarkable, though. I was watching it, you know, bits of it yesterday. I don't normally watch the the punditry, but I was transfixed by his... Mm. There were like disco lights in his beard. It just needed like a, a, a soundtrack of some kind to go with it, some kind of cool disco tune. Maybe he's, it was an order from Sky just to sort of distract us from the fact that they appeared to have like Frankenstein's monster operating as the other pundit. It's quite weird seeing the Vidic in the Sky studio, didn't you think? I did. I thought he looked exactly like Quagmire from Family Guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His jaw sort of never stopped growing, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's still growing to this day, I believe. It's, uh, mm. it's, it's an amazing thing. But look, we're, we're, uh, we're distracting ourselves a little bit, aren't we, from, uh, <laughs> from what happened yesterday at St. James's Park. Arsenal uh, took yeah. the lead against Newcastle, blew the lead, have lost five games uh, in 2018 away from home. Every single time we've played away from home in 2018 in the Premier League, we have lost... And it's bad. It's really bad. It's really <laughs> bad. I mean, I, I I don't know if you... You probably saw, like we all did, some of those stats flying around at the end of the game. I mean, you know, th- the whole calendar year thing. People go, yeah, but what does a calendar year thing mean? Well, what that means is the last four months. <laughs> That's what that means in this instance. It's like, unfortunately, that does mean something this time. And I think we have the worst record in the English football league away yeah. from home in those in that period there yeah. is not another team out there who have uh, managed to lose all their away games quite like us so yeah that is pretty extraordinary i think made all the more remarkable really by the fact that we took the lead yesterday even when we take the lead against a team lower down in the table there's absolutely no guarantee that mm. we'll come away from it with anything at all. Yeah, I mean, we took the lead against uh, Bournemouth, didn't we? Took the lead against Swansea as well, I think. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's no guarantee of anything. The one guarantee you do have is that Arsenal can concede goals. And boy, oh boy, did we concede goals. Just uh, on that record, it is 1984 since Arsenal lost five league games consecutively. Uh, this is the uh, 84-85 season. Arsenal lost 3-1 to West Ham in October, followed by a 3-2 defeat to Oxford, uh, also in October. Um, Then, actually, Oxford was in the League Cup, it seems, but Manchester United 
uh, beat us 4-2 uh, at Old Trafford. We went to Sheffield Wednesday and lost 2-1. We went to Southampton, to the Dell, and lost uh, 1-0. And also we went to Norwich and lost 1-0. So um, it's quite the record. Uh, one more uh, away defeat, uh, and we would match that record. So, no, and our six, next away game uh, is? Our next away game is Manchester United, is it not? It is indeed, yeah. So we we might go all the way back to the 80s there. Uh, Well, the interesting thing, I suppose, about this run and the question I have to ask you, if you'll forgive me doing a question so Mm. early in this podcast, is to what extent does what's happening in Europe kind of um, not give permission for, but kind of mean that we can kind of slightly turn a blind eye to these domestic results? Do you think that the fact that we're, we're in contention for the Europa League and it's so clearly our priority reduces the you know the seriousness of this awful awful run I don't think it reduces the seriousness of it at all I think what it does is it gives us something else to focus on uh, mm. otherwise we would be going even more crazy I mean like yesterday happened and then normally when Arsenal lose there's kind of a, a gut punch feeling to to it isn't there you feel a bit sick to your stomach and that's not the case anymore I, I can't say or l- sit here and lie and say I feel the same way about yesterday's loss as I have done about other defeats in the past I'm not saying I'm inured to it or I'm accepting of it or anything like that but it just feels like it's uh par for the course at this point that this is what we get we're so used to it now uh, and we're so used to it uh, for for this season I don't know what else we can say I was just talking to my neighbour uh, there and I was saying oh, I've got to go I've got to do the podcast I've got to find another way to say the same stuff we've been saying all season the Europa League means that this defeat can be put into a kind of a box for now mm. right It doesn't make it irrelevant. It doesn't make it any less damaging, any less dismal or anything like that. But as long as we've got the Europa League, we can say, look, that's where the focus is. That's where the priority is. We get that. But the reason the Europa League is the the the, the priority to an extent uh, is not simply because it's the semi-final of a European trophy or anything like that. It's because the league season has been so bad as well. Like, it's become clear for quite some time, or it has been clear for quite some time, that Europe was going to be the priority as long as we were in it because we've been just so terrible in the Premier League. It's our only realistic way into the Champions League, isn't it? That's the that's the fact. What do like, we want to be in the know, Champions we... League for? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I don't know. The money? Maybe the money. It is the money because it can't be the competitiveness because we're in a European competition which suits us, which has, I won't say been at our level, but to some to some degree it has, right? We're in the semi-final of, a, of, the, uh, of the Europa League because there's no way we're getting to the semi-final of the Champions League. Like, no chance. Mm. And look, I get it. It is a good prize. The players want to be in the Champions League. It can help you recruit, blah, 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 blah. We all know you know, the benefits of being in the in the Champions League. But I don't really know what we why we uh, are looking forward to it in any way. What are we letting ourselves in for? I don't know. I don't know. We're watching it through through gritted teeth and behind our sofas probably. But uh yeah, it's 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 very frustrating. And like you say, if that bubble of the Europa League possibility pops, then mm. this league form is going to be thrown into very stark relief, isn't it? I think yeah. suddenly these kinds of figures, this this kind of form is going to rear its head in a very real way between now and the end of the season. So, 
I mean, to be honest, I, I think you wrote this in your blog this morning, and I think I'm inclined to agree that almost irrespective of what happens in Europe, you cannot look past how poor we've been in the Premier League. And I think that that is the true measure of a side's competence. It's in the same way that no one's looking at the Champions League saying, well, I don't think this City side are much good then because they went out. You know, it's we are well off the standards of the top four. And I think something does need to change about that before next season. Yeah, 100%. We, you know, we've been down that road before. And we'll talk a little bit more about Europa League and maybe the manager in in the next uh, in the next little while during the podcast. But let's uh, let's talk about the the team yesterday. Were you a little bit surprised that he started Lacazette and Aubameyang together and how did you feel the the decision to play Aubameyang wide left worked? Interesting, wasn't it? I mean, after the game, Arsenal said, "Well, maybe we have to concede our our balance of offensive and defensive wasn't quite right." <laughs> and may- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming, but uh, I think when you look, you know, on reflection, maybe playing the two uh, the two centre forwards wasn't necessarily the right uh, the right call. I mean, admittedly, one was on the left wing. It didn't really work. It's funny because it worked brilliantly for the goal, didn't it? But it didn't really work at any other occasion apart from that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was as good as it got. And you looked at it and it was a good goal. It really was. Great ball from Mustafi. Aubameyang's control and cross to the far post was superb. Uh, Lacazette's finish was excellent. But, you know, I can't get my head around buying one of the best goal-scoring strikers in Europe who scores most of his goals from inside the penalty box and then playing him as a left winger. Obviously, Arsene Wenger is seeing something or believes that Aubameyang is capable of playing out there, right? He must believe that he's, he's you know, his pace perhaps is, is going to be a weapon or I, I don't quite know what the thinking is, but I can't get my head around using him out there. I just, you know, even yesterday there was the the, the potential to play with a kind of uh, a midfield and two strikers, right? We could have played uh, either um, uh, Iwobi perhaps at the head of a diamond with the three other central midfielders, you know, behind. I don't get the way we used Aubameyang yesterday. I can go for using uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang in the same team, but not like this. I don't think that worked at all, really. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I I think you're right. I think the best way to use them would be as a kind of narrow front too. And I think you can do that in a couple of ways. One way, if you're going to have four at the back, is with that kind of diamond midfield. I think an alternative and probably something that is worth looking at away from home, just because our results are so poor of late, is if you went with uh, three at the back and that your width came from your wing backs and then you could have mm. kind of two holding midfielders, a number 10 and two strikers. That would have seemed like maybe a more uh, cohesive way to, to get them into the side because Aubameyang, it's weird, isn't it? He's, he's such a top quality penalty box player, but I think that he's not necessarily a continuity guy. He's not necessarily someone who you want coming deep and joining up the play 30 yards from his goal. I mean, I just don't think that's his skill set. So, yeah, I, I, it was an interesting experiment, but not one I think you could called particularly successful. And I think Lacazette, I can see actually why Arsene thinks he should be the guy in the middle because he's very technically gifted. He's someone who can link the play. But he does seem to struggle in away games Mm. in the Premier League. He's not really imposing himself away from home. And I thought, apart from the goal, this was another one of those days from him. In fact, the whole attacking setup for me wasn't right because I thought Iwobi was really good in the last Premier League game as a number 10. 
I thought he was pretty good in this game, but he was playing from the right-hand yeah. side. He got less of the ball, had less passing options in front of him. I thought Willock, it was a lot for him to be playing as the kind of the ostensible creator in this team. So I'm not quite sure we got the the balance right. It felt like a real hodgepodge of a team. Yeah, yeah, really. I just don't know what he, he thinks he's going to get from Obama Yang. At one point, uh, Obama Yang was down defending by our corner flag. You know, and I, we're all happy to see a wide player do his defensive duties, but when you see one of Europe's top strikers defending that deep, it's like, what is going on? What are you trying to do with this team? What are you trying to do with this player? Are you trying to prove that he's that you can make him something that that nobody else could? Like everybody knows he's a great goal scorer and a great striker, so Arsene Wenger wants to make him what? A great winger, a great... what? Well, I don't get it. I just don't really understand what the thinking is, um, you know, or, or why, if he's going to play like Azette and Aubameyang, he has to shunt Aubameyang out wide left. It just does not make any sense. I mean, yeah, it does feel like it's sort of uh, an attempt to fit things together, which I don't think there was a strategy behind this when they brought Aubameyang in. I don't think they thought well, we'll sign him and then we'll put him out on the left. I honestly don't think it was like that. I think at that time, Lacazette's stock was relatively low and we desperately needed some goals for the second half of the mm. season. And I think it was pretty much a like-for-like purchase. And everyone who's from the from outside was saying, well, look, maybe Lacazette's going to have to be on the bench. I think inevitably, with a bit of time, we're like, oh, well, it would be nice if we could get them into the same side. But I don't think this is the way to do it. And if Arsene Wenger is wedded to this system, mm. then maybe it is. Maybe it is one of the two. Uh, should we have had a penalty? Hmm, I don't know, you know. I mean, I, I have to say I wasn't particularly exercised by it. I wasn't particularly furious about not getting it. I think the referee sees it, hits his hand and decides it's not deliberate, uh, which I think is a bit different from just not noticing it because obviously mm. he gave the corner, so he saw the contact. I think possibly, but I, personally I'm not sure... I think his hand is in an unnatural position, but I don't think he's gone to palm the ball away. You know what I mean? No, I don't think he has either. But I think when you put your hand above your head and you deflect a goal-bound shot out, then that's a penalty. For me, that's a penalty. But look, you know, we've got a few penalties in the last few weeks. So, um, yeah, true. That's true. you know, uh, and Anthony Taylor making a bad decision was... Uh, uh, not a surprise, I guess. Uh, but look, let's not let's not focus on the referee. The one thing I would say is I thought that Newcastle got away with a few fouls that were well worthy of cards. Uh, particularly in the first half, there was one on Lacazette just before the goal, which if the referee had seen it properly, perhaps could have been a red card. He was over the ball; it was studs into the shin. We've seen red cards given for less than that in the past, so. Uh, you know, they, they, they got stuck in a bit without too much consequence. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Uh, yeah, just in the final thing on our, our front too, there were a couple of moments I thought yesterday where perhaps, like I said, I think perhaps was most guilty of it was trying to do uh, or return the favour in a way for the penalty last week, wasn't there? There was one where he was mm. bearing down on goal and you're thinking, well, have a go. And he he tried to play it to uh, Obama. I think uh, Joe Willock got there first and uh, his shot wasn't particularly good. There was one in the second half where I think we were guilty of overplaying it a little bit, uh, trying to create something. Um, there were a couple of moments where we might have done better, but generally speaking, our, our attacking threat was very limited. Yeah, and I, I observed that as well. Just a couple of occasions where you've got these two really predatory forwards, but it felt a little bit like they were almost 
maybe they were too keen to make the partnership work. You know, there seemed to be a sense of them trying to lay on chances for each other. I mean, curiously, there was one incident in the second half where Lacazette did go selfishly when he was far too wide to get the, sh- the shot right and probably should have squared it because I think Welbeck and Aubameyang were waiting in the box. But mm. for the most part, there was a, we were guilty of a little bit of overplaying, I thought, in that final third and, and overcomplicating things. That, I suppose that was the good thing about the goal. It had a really lovely simplicity, didn't it? Yeah. From, uh, from Mustafi's pass, Aubameyang's left, and then Lacazette making a difficult finish look very, very easy. Okay, well, that brings us to our defending uh, defending, sure. you know, in, in inverted commas, of course. Um, the long ball played by John Joe Shelby was one which caused us uh, some problems, didn't it? Um, yeah, every time. I mean, they, it was clearly a strategy. Every time he got the ball, he, he looked to lump it in behind holding a Mustafi. And mm. Dwight Gale, it's not even that he's the quickest player, but he's a, he's a very willing runner and they really stretched us that way. Yeah, they did. And that's where the... Uh, the first goal came from was uh, was a long ball played into the channels, wasn't it? And uh, from there, the cross, Mustafi at the at the near post. Do we have to do this? <laughs> I think we do. I think we do. I mean, when I first saw the goal go in, I, I have to say my instant reaction was, that's quite a good goal. Um, I thought the cutback was played at real pace. The striker came onto it and flashed it in. Yeah. When you When you watch the replay... Mm. Uh, and you see that it's sort of the same thing of a guy running across Mustafi at the near post without any kind of contest. It's pretty Well, I mean, the, you know, the credit to him. He actually saw it this time, but didn't react quickly enough. Uh, <laughs> unlike last week where he was almost completely taken aback by the fact that Shane Long might be moving towards the ball. Uh, you know, I think with with this week's one, he was aware, but it was just too late. It was the last minute. He couldn't get there in time. I think his effort to get there was pretty half-hearted. Uh, you know, it's it's bad defending. If a player gets caught like that once, okay. But if it happens more than once, you've got to really worry. I mean, he is a, he is really, really, really struggling at this moment in time. You know, he's uh, he's having one of those... I guess it's not dissimilar from the run of form that Granit Xhaka had earlier in the season. You remember when Xhaka would make a mistake and they would score? Pretty much mm. uh, the same thing is happening to Mustafi at this moment in time. His mistakes are being punished really, really harshly. Um, maybe not harshly, that could be the wrong word, but his mistakes are definitely being punished because they're happening in dangerous areas. And when you're a defender and you switch off and your concentration is not right, you know, at this level of football, you're going to get hurt. And and that was very much the case with that first goal. How much of, uh, how much of the blame would you uh, uh, apportion to Petr Cech for that one. I think it was a smart finish, but I watched the replays again this morning and what's the word I would, I wouldn't necessarily use kind words about Petr Cech's attempt to get there either. He looked sluggish. I think that that's yeah, the word I, mean, I would use. I think maybe he's a little bit guilty of expecting Mustafi to, to get there himself. I, I I don't have a huge amount of blame for the goalkeeper on this particular goal, but when a goalkeeper has been beaten at their near post a few times in recent weeks, then I think you have to start to look at that as a, a bit of a potential problem. But Mustafi, I mean, if I, if I was going to try and mount a defence of him, I would say, look, I think... He's alternating his centre-back partner every single game. You know, in the Europa League, he's playing with Koscielny. In the last Premier League, he was playing with Chambers. In this match, he's playing with Holding. There's no kind of consistency there for him. There's no kind of platform. Mm. But I do think that 
he just struggles in a four with that level of responsibility. I just think he, he, he can't really do that role. And I'm not seeing anything really to the contrary. So he's a um, defender you think that would work best in a back three, but that's yeah. a problem because uh, because Arsene Wenger doesn't want to play a back three, really. He, he's not, he's not, uh, it's not his thing. We know that. He's tried it. He resorted to it in Moscow the other night, but it is a, a last resort kind of a thing for him. We do seem to have players uh, who who fit a back three better than a back four, don't we? I mean, Mustafi. I don't like every centre half yeah. we have is better in a three than a two. I mean, maybe mm. that's just a function of having more support, but it goes beyond that. I mean, Kolasinac is, is better in a three than in a four. Maybe even Hector Bellerin potentially, certainly Ainsley Maitland Niles, more natural. So it, yeah, I mean, we know the reasons that we changed, but it's difficult to look at the results away from home and see that's working. I do almost wonder if Arsenal should be a team that look at setting up in a different way away from home than they do at home, because we just can't seem to keep goals out when we're, when we're on the road. No, and considering some of the uh, the away trips that we've got uh, over the mm-hmm. next <laughs> over the next couple of weeks, it's definitely something for Arsene Wenger to think about. I mean, he he can't be looking at the the results away from home and thinking this is just some kind of weird aberration, an accident, uh, a bad run of form. There's got to be more to it than that, you know? Um, This is a team that has really struggled to defend for most of this season anyway. Whether it's a back three or whether it's a back four, this is a team that ships a lot of goals. So I don't know what the solution is, but you would look at the defenders that we have and, and make a good case for a back three. Um... I, I don't know what the manager's thinking is with, with the back four. Mustafi doesn't do well there. Chambers doesn't do well at fullback. Koscielny is a guy who can play one game a week now. Rob Holdings, uh, young and promising, but still learning his trade. Kolasinac seems to be completely out of favour. Monreal played 90 on Thursday and he played 90 minutes uh, on Sunday as well. So... It's hard to figure out what way the manager views his defenders. We can have our own uh, uh, opinions and ideas of how he should set them up, but we we don't really know what he thinks um, or what he thinks is the best way to deploy these players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I agree that a back three is something to consider, especially with those trips to Madrid, to Manchester on the horizon. I do wonder if it might just give us a bit more security because at the moment... Mustafi's just a disaster zone, isn't he? I mean, mm. <laughs> we'll get to the second goal, but yesterday watching him, I just, I just felt exhausted. I felt like, I, I don't know, we, we're running out of things to say about this team, but we're running out of things to say about this player at the moment. Yeah, I don't think that's unfair. I mean, it's, you know, it's easy, I think, to to point to one individual when when he makes mistakes and high-profile mistakes and say, you know, he, he probably is the root cause of Arsenal's defensive problems. I don't believe that's the case. Uh, I'm, I always, the one thing that, that always uh, comes to mind when I think about Arsenal defenders and making mistakes, uh, and I'm not excusing Mustafi in any way, I think his decision making is at times really terrible. There was an example yesterday, he went to ground just outside our box to try and make a tackle. I don't know what he was thinking. You know, I'm not making excuses for him or anybody else, but the the article, uh, the interview, I think it was Sebastian Scrilacci, 
who did an interview after he left Arsenal and said, you know, it's practically fucking impossible to be a defender or central defender at Arsenal with the way that Arsene Wenger wants to play and the lack of protection that you get from pretty much everywhere else. You know, you're you're left to firefight at the back while everybody else is tasked with going forward without having to cover, without uh, having to provide any defensive cover. So as a defender, you're constantly on the back foot. So it's really, really difficult. And I think there's an element of that with what's going on with Mustafi at this moment in time. You know, it's too easy for teams to completely uh, expose us defensively, isn't it? All it takes is for somebody with a half-decent passing ability from deep, and we're just completely stretched immediately. It's just a 50-, 60-yard pass into space for somebody who can run onto it, and we are undone, right? That can't be... that. You know, it can't be and shouldn't be that easy to pull a team apart with a pass, just one pass. It's it's ludicrous. So I think we have to look, okay, we can criticize Mustafi, and we have done, and we will do again, I think, for the second goal. But we can't ignore that there are structural and organizational problems in the Arsenal team that leave the defenders far too exposed, far too often. And when it happens time and time and time again, inevitably, there are going to be individual mistakes which highlight the the deficiencies of one particular player. But I don't think it's right to completely uh, point the finger at that player as uh, as the the be all and end all of our defensive issues. No, I think you're right. There's two sides to this coin. It is partly structural, but then I don't know if you watched... Did you watch the halftime yeah. on Sky with Vidic talking about how Mustafi just wasn't doing mm. the very basics of centre-half play as well? I mean, I think part of that does have to fall to the coaching structure too and the, because he's still a relatively young player who should still be learning those elements of the game mm. and he's not. Uh, so it, it is all tied in together and he is just having a particularly poor run of form yeah. but uh, yeah it's you know there's fault on several sides really yeah the second goal I mean it was it was poor defending all round uh, again he's in the spotlight for ball watching he just stood watching as Slimani headed the ball across Monreal was out of position his header was poor as well but I think Thierry Henry did a good job of of highlighting the fact that Arsenal had a situation with five five Arsenal players, three Newcastle uh, attackers, and we ended up <laughs> they ended up with a two on one in our box. It, yeah. It's 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 terrible. I mean, I think if you wind the wind the tape back on this one, I think Mustafi, his first kind of involvement in it is that he. He sort of wins a header, but mm. heads it like 30 yards across his own goal, basically. Yeah. And then uh, Monreal is sort of a bit like in the position that Shaka was in against um, Moscow, where he's sort of just got to try and get the ball clear. He doesn't do it particularly well. Uh, and then Mustafi is just watching uh, and Slomani. I mean, as soon as Slomani came on, it spelled trouble for us. I was like, this guy can win a header uh, yeah. against both our centre-halves and it's going to give us problems. It's very simple management, really, from Benitez, but it, it worked. And yeah, then ultimately had the overload on the far side and Richie scored. And I, I, it was one of those goals that when it went in, <clears throat> as bad as the defending was, I just was in no way surprised no. about it. You know, I, I was almost, I had almost no reaction sat on my sofa. You know, I just kind of shrugged and mm. thought, yeah, well, that will that'll be that then. 
And that was that because our attempts to get something out of the game involved uh, throwing on Danny Welbeck to play somewhere. I'm not quite sure where. Um, no. Maitland-Niles. He came on just before the goal, didn't he? He came on moments before the second goal. And oh, yeah, yeah. Just was, before Willock. Oh, yeah. Willock went off. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I was utterly bemused because he came on and seemed to point to Iwobi to stay wide and he, and when if you watch the tape on the goal Welbeck's kind of playing like central midfield at that point it's very very odd uh, arrangement of players and then once the goal went in and we fell behind I, I felt like the structure of the team pretty much completely fell apart. I mean, it was the, the classic strategy of all the strikers, but mm. there wasn't much shape to it beyond that. No, there was no shape. And Kedia came on. Maitland-Niles for Chambers, I understood, because Chambers ran mm. out of steam at right back. Yeah, I thought he was actually quite good in the first half. Chambers, quite dangerous, got into some good positions, but fullback is not really his position. Um, Maitland-Niles looks more... I know what more you mean. He, yeah. had, he had moments... He had moments, Chambers, where he looked like he was in the right place or, you know, involved well in team play, looking for the, the ball. But he seemed to me like a player who was kind of playing on the edge of his physical capacities. Mm. You know, I, I never really fancied him to win the duels in those positions. I thought he did a good emulation of a fullback, but he still looked like mm. a centre-half, I thought, playing that position. And Kedia came on late. Uh, we've got five minutes towards the end. We're playing with four strikers. We've nobody to create anything for them. Uh, El Nenny and Xhaka. Uh, I, I lost count of the number of times you could see players looking for movement ahead of them. Uh, a lot of Arsenal players hiding in plain sight uh, throughout the mm. game. You know, there was one moment I think Iwobi picked up the ball and he was like at his arms out going, you know, who's there? Eventually all he can do is go backwards. Um, that's been a trademark of our football this season as well. The lack of movement uh, ahead of the ball. Uh, you know, you, you didn't feel confident in any way that we were going to get a goal back. You're playing with four strikers. Nobody quite knows what the formation is, what the system is, who's playing where. How are we supposed to create chances for these strikers? What's anybody supposed to be doing? It's it's hit and hope management, really, isn't it? It's just like throw players on. Maybe somebody will come up with something uh, uh, remarkable. Here's something that I want to just tell you. I got a uh, DM on this from... Uh, Jace, who's Jace AFC, right? The last time mm -hmm. Arsenal won a Premier League game without Alexis scoring, 1-0 at Burnley in October 2016, right? Get your head mm -hmm. around that. Here's the next stat. Since October 2016, we've played 31 Premier League away games and won just nine. Alexis Sanchez scored in all nine of those wins. So... What does that tell us? A, we've won just one in, uh, or nine in 30, 31 Premier League away games, which is very poor. Mm. But also that we ha have become reliant on an arch individualist, right? Somebody who can create something out of nothing. Somebody who has that explosive ability to to score goals, to, to be this... Um, talismanic individual, which is what Sanchez was. He was now not really a team player per se, but a brilliant individualist when he was on his game. So without Alexis Sanchez, we don't have that we kind have of player, player anymore. Yeah. And is it fair to say as well, I mean, that maybe some of some of the best players that we have don't always show their best form on the road. They can be a bit more yeah. comfortable at the Emirates Stadium. Yeah. Uh, I mean... 
these days we can't even get Mesut Ozil to play away from home in the Premier League. But, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I think there is something in that potentially, you know, Lacazette is, a, is another one who has shone at home, but not so away. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a terrible but, or, Yeah, that's pretty unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, it's thanks. Uh, it's interesting because... Go on. Who sent that in? Uh, Jace AFC, at Jace AFC. Um, Thanks for bumming us all out, Jace. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I mean, but it's it's an, it's another illustration of how bad things have been, not just in 2018, James, not just in this calendar year, but this season and last season as well. You know, this is a team in steady decline. There's no doubt about it. The team is in decline. The manager is in decline. Our league position tells you that. Our defensive record tells you that. Uh, You know, we're two points ahead of Burnley. We could conceivably drop out of the top six. Um, It is Europe that is propping things up, that is stopping perhaps something more... uh, substantial happening in terms of change at the club right now, um, but but I, you know I'm I'm lost for words really at at how how can we how can we say the same thing again? Like Arsene Wenger said, he's baffled by our away form. He's baffled. Mm. I'm not baffled. Are you baffled? No, no. <laughs> I think uh, I think our away form. We're comfortably in the bottom half of the Premier League. Twelfth, we're twelfth or third, yeah. yeah, something like that. Seven AM kickoff did a good is... uh, by the numbers piece uh, on that, uh, Tim from Seven AM kickoff. It's on Ars Blog News. You can you can read it there. We're twelfth in the away league. Well, twelfth in this league is in a relegation battle, isn't it? You know, in the way that the Premier League is compressed this season, mm. um, it is pretty extraordinary. And I think one of the things that's really galling about it is how simple what Newcastle had to do was. I mean, this is a team who had 28% possession in the game and their strategy was so, yeah, so transparent. In the first half, it was hit long balls on the diagonals, hit the corners, hit a running man, stretch the defence. Their fullbacks will be out of position, will be able to pull the centre-halves into the channels. And in the second half, once they brought Slimani on, it was go long to the big man. And it was enough to beat us. And you, you can't defend like that and expect any better, really. No. No, I mean you can't look at our record. I mean, if if the Europa League was out of the out of the equation now, James, the manager would be sacked, wouldn't he? Of course. I mean, the one the one thing you would say is if the Europa League was out of the equation, maybe the likes of Aaron Ramsey, Mesut Ozil would be playing these games, and maybe the results would be better. I mean, let's okay. be honest, they weren't that great with them earlier in the season. No, well, that's it. I mean, we've only really just started to prioritise the the Europa League. I think. Um, mm. So, yeah, look, it's a, it's a difficult situation. The Europa League, of course, is going to be a difficult, um, a difficult task, isn't it, to get beyond Atletico Madrid? I have to say, like, despite how bad things are at this moment in time, I'm excited by that tie simply because it hasn't been much to get uh, to get enthused about this season. You know, we watched some of the Champions League games. They were so exciting. You're sitting there at home and you're going, why can't we be involved in big European nights? Arsenal versus Atletico Madrid, when we do have the likes of Aaron Ramsey, uh, Mesut Ozil back in the side, with a team that is absolutely focused on doing well in Europe, you know, I think we're, I think we're going to be competitive. I think it's going to be very, very difficult to get beyond them, but uh, I find it an exciting tie and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think if you know if you go to Milan, you go to Moscow, you go to Madrid, and you get to the Europa League final, no one can argue you've done it the easy way. That's for sure. Mm. Um, it, it's it's daunting. I think I was on record on here saying I felt 
maybe we could beat them over in a one-off game and over two legs. I worried about it, partly yeah. because we've got to go away from home. <laughs> yeah, uh, It means at some point we have to play away from home against them. Uh, and that's a concern. I think as well, maybe the way round the legs are isn't necessarily in our favour. I think having to go there in the second leg Do you think that's, could be tricky. Do you think that's but a it's, bad thing? I mean... I don't know. I mean... I don't really... Yeah, to me depends, it's like... Depends, doesn't it? It yeah. all depends how the first leg goes. Exactly. I mean, we could go there and score an away goal and maybe, you know, maybe it will work to our advantage. Sometimes it doesn't, um, but I, I don't really see it as a big, big issue, to be perfectly honest. I know most people no, would prefer to have this, I mean, you know. It's the identity of the opponent, isn't it? And I think, but I agree with you that it's exciting. I mean, it's an absolutely massive game. It's 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 not the same calibre of game. It's not, it's a very different kind of opponent, but it's almost a bit like when we played Wigan in that FA Cup semi-final. I think it was in... 2014 mm. and there was that sense of this result could be the absolutely the defining moment for Arsene Wenger you know in terms of whether he stays or goes and I think this whole two-legged tie that 180 minutes will have that kind of Damaclean promise hanging over it we'll find out yeah we'll find we out. will I mean it, it, it's yeah and, and I think it will be competitive I don't think this is going to be 10-2 on aggregate I'm just I'm leaving a pause there for is. yeah <laughs> No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. But you're right. I, this is, uh, it's a it's a critical moment. Um, you know, I, I said it in the blog today, whatever happens in the Europa League, whether we win it or whether we don't, I think we need a new manager next season. That much is clear from what we've done in the Premier League and from the way we're unable to, to solve the problems that we have, right? That That's the biggest problem. It's not so much that we have problems. It's just the, the fact that Arsene Wenger can't seem to do very much about them, regardless of what he tries, whether it's formation change, uh, three at the back, back four, who's in midfield, two strikers, best striker, one of the best strikers in Europe playing as a winger, whatever it is, it's not working, right? So for me, that's yeah. why we need a change. We we just desperately need a change. It would be great if that change were to come off the back of a of a European success. Some will say there's it's less likely likely for change to happen if we win. And that's a fair point, And I can understand that. I think it is less likely if we win the Europa League that the club are going to turn around to Arsene Wenger and say, look, we need to go in a different direction. But if he doesn't win the semi-final against Atletico Madrid, and we're in a situation where we're, you know, scrapping to finish sixth, that's it. Someone's got to, someone's got to call time on it. So, yeah. I completely agree. And as I say, if we do go out, or, I mean, it could get very ugly very quickly. If you think that we play Madrid twice in the space of the week with uh, Manchester United sandwiched mm. in between, if those games don't <laughs> go well, it's almost too too much to bear thinking about, isn't it? It is. And then what's the next game after that? Is it Burnley? Burnley, that, uh, the, the sixth place playoff. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, um, yeah, there's a lot going on in these next couple of weeks uh, that might define the future of this football club. Um, so, yeah, look, we'll have plenty to talk about. Um, we'll take a break here, I think, because we've been uh, we've been chatting for a bit. So we're going to take a break, come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. James, I'm going first. Here's a question from Matt Sanasi, at Matt Sanasi. And he says, 
Would you take Rafa Benitez as a manager? And how would he set up this Arsenal side? Well, it's interesting you should ask that. That would be my first question to you as well. <laughs> I have been harbouring a kind of secret. There's been an article I've been sort of waiting to write until I felt that the mood would result in me not being lynched uh, about Benitez <laughs> being a potential candidate for the Arsenal job. And it's something that I don't think it's original thought. I think someone had mentioned it. I'd seen it mentioned on Twitter as a possibility. And it's one of those things that the more I thought about it, the more sense it potentially made. And it's almost nothing to do with yesterday's result. Although I do think that if he can lead Newcastle to a a top half finish or a top 10 finish in his first season in the Premier League, I think that's really impressive, especially looking at the resources and the, the players they have available. It's more to do with his... His record before that, I mean, this is a guy who's managed Valencia, Liverpool, Inter Milan, Chelsea. Real Madrid. He's won the Real Madrid, lest we forget. Uh, he's won, I mean, a lot of stuff. He's won two La Liga titles. He's won the Champions League. You know, he's won the FA Cup. He's won the Europa League. He's also someone who's won in difficult circumstances. Like he's a guy who parachuted into Chelsea at a really tricky time when, you know, it was like, who's going to be the successor? Who's going to be the man to settle this squad down? He managed to do that, managed to get them playing some decent stuff. I think he's done a a great job at Newcastle, really working with a, a difficult ownership structure and with his hands slightly tied behind his back on the spending front, which who knows he might encounter at Arsenal. (laughs) And he is a shrewd tactical brain. I don't, I'm not, he's not my favourite bloke in football. And I think he's he's had a few moments um, in press conferences and the like where, you know, we've all had a a good chuckle at him. But I think his record speaks for itself. And he is a a smart, strategic, tactical thinker, which is something that I think this squad needs. He is a coach, first and foremost, above and beyond all else. He is a coach. And he's experienced in English football. So I think there are... There are things that make him a, a plausible contender and surely he'll be looking at trying to move on from Newcastle, I guess, sooner rather than later. I think he'll be in a, a bigger club before oh, long. Works, and he was very clear the other day. It's a fact. I am not it's a fact. playing uh, mind game. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, you make a, a good argument. At the moment, I, I feel like if Arsenal were to play a team managed by uh, a goat wearing sure. a sombrero... And that team beat us. People would be goat in, goat for manager. I understand. You know, um, I think there's, a, there's such a, an appetite for change that uh, that anybody that seems to do a, a reasonably good job against us uh, becomes a, a contender. In the in the grand scheme of things, he wouldn't be my first choice. But at this moment in time, the one thing you would say is that he could definitely organize a team for sure. Defensively, yeah. tactically, he would he would make us more organised, um, and in the absence of another outstanding candidate or or the availability of another outstanding candidate, maybe he would be maybe he would be a, a reasonable uh, appointment. But I think it's just we're at a we're at a stage where we're going any, anything, just anything that's different, anything that might go some way to solving the problems that we continue to have that remain unaddressed by the current manager. It, it It's it's like, a you know, uh, the analogy we've had in the past where you're, you're, you're a man in the desert and all of a sudden you see the oasis. You know, everything, everything tastes good to a starving man. So I think that's mm. where I would be with him. But yeah, look... Uh, 
I'm sure people will talk about him as being a potential candidate, but much depends, as we said, on the on the next couple of weeks and what happens uh, against Atletico Madrid. Well, uh, let's let's uh, continue on that theme. Really, this is existential Arsenal, who's at existential AFC on Twitter. He's having and a good asked, time of it at the moment. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> imagine what his timeline's like. I'll have to check that out later on. Um, anyway, he says, uh, do you think finishing sixth or seventh will make a huge difference to Arsene Wenger's future or is it all incumbent on the Europa League? I think it's all incumbent on the Europa League, but if we, you know... Finishing sixth or seventh really doesn't make that much difference at this moment in time. But I think there's, there's when people assess you and assess your performance, if they say, look, you finished below Burnley, you finished seventh below Burnley, you know, that is a not, not a stick to beat you with, but it is a way of assessing how you've performed as a manager. With the resources that we have, with the, 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 uh, the transfer spending that we've had, with the players at our disposal to finish below Burnley would be an absolute failure. There's no other way of dressing that up. Not that finishing two or three points ahead of them is a great success either. But, you know, league position, as you said earlier, league position is how you judge a team, how you judge a team's performance. And when you look at the league table right now, it makes for a pretty pitiful reading from an Arsenal point of view. 33 points behind the leaders. Now, I know they've been out there in front and they're, you know, 16 points ahead of second place and everything else, but... 13 points behind Tottenham. Did I say 13 points behind the leaders or 33? Anyway, it's 33 behind the leaders. 13 points behind Tottenham with five games to go. Goal, 45 goals conceded. You know, it's... Um, the table tells us what we need to know. So it doesn't really make that much difference. I don't think, whether we finish sixth or seventh, but... Um, yeah, everything, everything's on the Europa League. Everything. I don't think Arsene Wenger can survive or should survive without winning the Europa League. And even if he wins the Europa League, I think he should be taken to one side and told, thank you very much. What a great way to go. You've won us a European trophy. But based on the performance of this team over the last 24 months in the Premier League, it's time for a change, Arsene. Thank you. Good night. Mm. You've been brilliant. We have to go in a different direction. And winning the Europa League does not convince me that Arsene Wenger is the right man to take us forward. What it would be would, would be a great achievement for a, a manager who's done a lot for this football club. Uh, and it would be, I think, an ab- just an absolute crying shame if he were to win the Europa League and we didn't go a different direction. We didn't say, thanks, go out on a high. Take that decision out of his hands. It can't be his decision. I know he's got a year left on his contract and everything else, but if there are people at this football club who are genuinely interested in in progress, in ambition, in solving our problems, in restoring competitiveness to the team, then they won't be blindsided by the European uh, triumph if we get that far, if we manage to pull that off. And it would be a huge accomplishment I think to 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 do it but we have to put it in in the context of everything else that's going on as well so for me everything everything depends on Europe and even with success in Europe it shouldn't change what needs to happen 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, I agree with every word of that, to be honest. And I think that I've read some quite scary things. You know, you shouldn't read Twitter late at night, but you do see people saying if Arsenal wins the Europa League, they'll have to give him a new contract in order to avoid... Who said uh, that? The whole last year of his contract thing. Yeah. I don't know, Andrew. I, I, you know, when you sort of go down the rabbit hole and you start reading all the paranoid <laughs> ramblings of lunatics, maybe it was that existential Arsenal. I don't know. But, um, no, I, uh, uh, and, and, you know, you start panicking and thinking, God, it's not going to go that way, is it? I think whatever happens, the change has to come. Mm. Uh, tr- truthfully, I think if he wins it, he will stay to, because I I don't th- see the club. Oh, I, the- I, I, I think he will. I just don't think he should. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, um, well, I mean, we're slightly on this. Nick Campbell, who's at NJHC89, says, how upset can we really get at the Newcastle loss? Missing five of our best players, testing youth and a new attack in Aubameyang Lacazette against an informed side. Isn't this what we should look to do in our remaining Premier League games, even if we lose a few? Uh yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's something to be said for that. The problem is that, well, the problem is that the player who made the big mistakes yesterday is going to play against Atletico Madrid. So <laughs> I think, you know, you can understand people being a bit concerned by that. I think as well that it's part of a bigger picture, isn't it? It's not just a one-off game that we lost. It's part of this dire run of form on the road that stretches right back to 2016, as you were alluding to earlier. Mm. So I, I think, you know... I think people have been relatively happy with, uh, happy to put up with the tinkering uh, in the Premier League and you know the rotated sides and even some of the crazy goals we've conceded mm. as long as we weren't losing games. But ultimately, results are everything, and I think you know any match we lose, especially with the manager's position being what it is, is going to provoke not outrage but certainly irritation. Certainly irritation. I mean, are you able to compartmentalise it and kind of? Write it off as well, you know, we we tried something, it didn't work. Um, kind of, because only because uh, my, my I have clarity in my own mind about what needs to happen. You know, I'm not undecided about what our problem is. I don't need any more right. evidence, um, either from our performances or team selections or tactics or anything like that to, to convince me that we need to change. So I can I can just add it to that box which says you know, something has to happen here. Um, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think, um, I think if there was more of a discernible plan with what we were trying mm. to do in these games, like if he went out and picked, you know, if he picked Reese Nelson in the team, Willock in the team, Maitland Niles in the team and played them, you know, to try and blood them in properly um, and give them Premier League experience, et cetera, et cetera then you could say, okay, there is, you know, he's trying to do something here. But he gave Nelson a start last week and gave Willock a start this week. And Maitland-Niles is back from injury. So, you know, he might start next week, for example, against West Ham. It doesn't seem like there's a concerted effort to, okay, we're going to focus on giving young players a chance here because, you know, they're the future. The Premier League season is a write-off. It's sort of like, I'll just throw one in and mix and match the team. And even with the substitutes, as we said, there's no real strategy to what's gone on. You know, that, that's the, that's the thing Mm. for me. I can't, I can't see that he's trying to do something to correct the problems. He's just picking a team, you know, that he thinks can win a game using the same tactics and system that he's used most of the season that hasn't worked. 
So essentially what he's doing is he's just trying the same thing with different players, hoping that that might work. And it doesn't, and it won't. And I, I don't need to be convinced that that uh, that anything's going to be different with Arson, yeah. you know? So I, I, can, I can put the result to one side. As I said, I didn't feel particularly uh, upset or annoyed because I've seen it too often this season. And, you know, if, if you if you go into that game and you truly expect things to be different, then you'd be upset. But if you truly expected things to be different, you haven't been paying attention. Mm. Yeah. I mean, on the composition of the team, we had this question from Dr. Zebra. Dr. Zebra's back again. Uh, and the good doctor, the good doctor asks, "Hey guys, should Urzel have been on the bench last night? No. What do you think about that? Do you think no? You've got no issue with that at all? No. Doesn't doesn't make any real difference, does it? Like run the risk of Maybe an not. injury. Um, you know, we know he's a bit delicate at the best of times. Anyway, he doesn't like to uh, to go north of the Watford Gap. Uh, generally speaking." Mm-hmm. Um, and it will be pointless, pointless playing him. If he comes on yesterday and we rescue a, a, a draw with Newcastle, but Ozil suffers a hamstring injury or a calf strain or gets a kick, you know, what's the point? It doesn't, it doesn't make any real difference, you know, uh, to me. Not in these circumstances. If we were fighting for something, if we were scrapping for the top four, yeah, of course. But... We're not there. We're not in that position. Um, West Antone wants to know, is this season, bungs aside, a fair comparison between George Graham's last Arsenal side and Arsene Wenger's latest Arsenal side? We're doing okay in the lesser European competition, but destined for mid-table mediocrity. Yeah, I guess it would have been the cut on his cup back then that, yeah. we, uh, that we were doing all right. In. Yeah. Uh, and what happened in that final season? That's the one where we lost in the final, was it? Or was that the one we won it? No, that was the one we lost in the the final, wasn't it? Um, yeah. We won it under George no, you know all that. in 1984. In 1995, he got sacked. It was Stuart Houston, who was the caretaker manager um, right. for the final against... Uh, what the fuck? Who was it? Zaragoza, maybe? Yeah. Someone like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hang on. I think it was. It was naive anyway. Thing, but... Yeah, it was Zaragoza, yeah, well, Zaragoza. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't particularly remember that season with enough clarity to say it's the same, but everyone who does tells me it is the same. <laughs> yeah, we were sacked, or he was sacked in February 95 after the um, the Bungs thing. I'm going to just go down, back and see what the our position was in the Premier League table at the time that he was sacked. Just go to premierleague.com. Very handy league table for uh, 94-95. So it would have been, 90, was it 94-95? It was 94-95. 94-95. Uh, so match week, uh, I don't know, probably 22, something like that. Uh, Arsenal were in 11th with 33 points after 26 games. You know, I think we finished 12th that season. We did finish 12th. We That's finished right. 12th. So we're not going to finish that low, but there are definitely comparisons to be made between what's going on uh, this season with Arsenal and Arsene Wenger and what's, uh, what's happened with George Graham. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, w- what happened with George was his teams became cup teams, 
They were good in cup competitions, you know, with two European finals. We had the uh, the two cups in 93, uh, where we won the, the FA Cup and we won the, the League Cup in the same season. And we became less and less competitive in, in the league. You know, having won the league in 89, having, you know, won the league in 91 as well, only losing one game, the team became a cup team. And this Arsenal team um, over the last number of years has become a cup team under Arsene Wenger with success, like George had. We've won three FA Cup finals. Very, very enjoyable. But we are not competitive in the Premier League. And that should be the bread and butter. And that that's the situation with Arsene Wenger right now. So there are definitely some parallels there for sure. I've always... The season after that is the season I really started to um, sort of become an Arsenal obsessive. And I've always used that 12th place finish as a kind of defence of glory hunting. You know, that, that when I really got into Arsenal, they finished in 12th the season before. <laughs> so maybe a whole new generation of Arsenal fans. Next, uh, you know, in the 10 years time, we say, well, it was actually when we finished seventh below Burnley that my interest in the club really ignited. <laughs> yes, I'm sure Arsenal are really igniting the passions of young fans uh, this season. <laughs> There's nothing quite like watching the same uh, defensive mistakes over and over again to introduce you to oh. uh, a lifetime of ups and downs of football, in fairness. But, uh, exactly. So, yeah, Bruce Rioch, the first Bruce Rioch season was your... Was your um, was your real first season, was it? My first real sort of baptism of being a true Arsenal fan, yeah. And how I, and how I miss Bruce to this day. Could he come back? No. I, um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, so that was the first season I really... I mean, obviously, you know, you go back after that and watch tapes of what came before. And I, I watched the odd, like, final. I, I remember watching particularly that, that Naeem game. But uh, it was that season that my uh, interest really took light but I think that makes me quite an odd kid really that I got into it at that mm. <laughs> at that particular point and like you say I couldn't blame a, a youngster now for being a bit less interested in Arsenal than they might have been mm. five or ten years ago we do um, go on have you, have you go on. a question well I was just going to say this one's from Hazza who's at Hazza 1979 a lot of people have had a variation of this uh, this particular question um Generally speaking, it involves Shkodran Mustafi uh, and people want to know pound for pound who is Arsene Wenger's worst signing during his reign as Arsenal manager. Um, Mustafi certainly has to be on the brink of being one of our worst defensive signings when you consider the the performances, but also the price tag. Yeah, when 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 people say pound for pound, inevitably you think uh, of it in relation to the fee. And although the transfer make market has inflated hugely, even since we bought Mustafi, the £35 million that we paid for him, I think does place him really high up there in terms of the worst signings. I'm trying to think who else would be in contention, really. I mean, there have been bad signings, but rarely have they been particularly... Expensive ones, I suppose. Francis Jeffers, you yeah. have to say, would be up there. Richard Wright, Richard Wright, yeah. In relative terms, um, there were a few flops around that time, actually, as well as the really successful ones, the successful buys like mm. Sol Campbell. That summer, two thousand and one, he took a lot of punts in the market. I think it was Richard Wright, Francis Jeffers, maybe Junichi Inamoto as well. That Van time, Brunkhorst. there were a few on. Van Bronckhorst, a few that didn't quite pan out as anticipated in that summer. Yeah. Um, Lucas Perez? Now, I don't mean to say Lucas Perez was a bad player. I think he, he was a good player and did, did well for us. But in terms of what we did with him, we paid mm. Deportivo guts of £20 million. And yeah. 
decided very quickly that, you know, we didn't want him. We've loaned him out and got a million pounds in return. But what are we going to get now? He's had a disastrous season at uh, at Deportivo, at his hometown club. He's been criticised. He hasn't really been scoring. Uh, we're not going to get anything close to what we paid for him if we sell him or when we sell him. You assume we're going to sell him this summer. So the way we did that signing, I guess, that would be pound for pound a, a particularly bad one. Yeah, I think given what we needed at the time, the fact that we ended up going back for Lacazette and then back for Aubameyang as well, that one didn't pan out uh, particularly well. I'm just trying to think. I think Jovino, you know, we paid a, a fair amount of money for Jovino and given our expectations of him and how poorly he ended up performing mm. in the end, I think he'd have to be on the list as well um, as a disappointing signing. But yeah, Mustafi... At 35 million, it is quite hard to look past that, isn't it? Mm. Silvestra, I know he only paid 700,000 pounds, but you know, those 700,000 pounds still gnaw at my soul. Sure, <laughs> sure. We're never getting that money back, are no, we? No, um, no, no. Or those memories. Well, I'll tell you what, this is a weirdly positive, potentially positive question from Jonathan Deans on Facebook. And Jonathan says, have there been any players this year that have exceeded the expectations you had coming into the season? I largely see regression and a few players who've had good stretches amongst mediocrity. So it's not an entirely positive question, but is there anyone who has outperformed your expectations this season? Um, Hmm. Maybe Ainsley Maitland-Niles. That was the, That's that, the one that would yeah. jump out for me. That was the only one, simply because I didn't have any expectation whatsoever of him being a first-team player. I thought he would go on loan. So mm. that would be about it, I think. Aaron Ramsey's done well when he's been fit, to be fair. That's true, yeah. Mesut Ozil's got a good number of assists, but you would expect that anyway. He surpassed my expectations in terms of Signing a new contract, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. But I think generally uh, speaking, individuals have performed below where we would expect them to normally um, perform, right? If you think, if yeah. you go through the team, Petrček, disappointing. Ospina, disappointing. Bellerin, not as good as we would have liked. Mustafi, <laughs> uh, Koscielny, no. Monreal has been pretty consistent in fairness. Mohamed Elneny, actually. Mohamed Elneny is one who's done well and who has added to his game, I think, who has progressed as a footballer over the course of this season. I think he's been consistent. Uh, he has he's developed a little bit, hasn't he, in terms of what he can bring to the team from an attacking point of view. He's added some creativity, so he would be one. Granit Xhaka has had a good run of form recently, but I think that's relative to where he was before. Jack Wilshire, Jack yeah. Wilshire has not really done anything to convince anyone that he's worth more than Arsenal are offering him. Alex Iwobi has had some difficult times for sure. Mm. Lacazette done all right. Alexis was disappointing, wasn't he? You know, so right throughout the team, the vast majority of individuals have been below par. And I think we have to step back again and say that there have got to be uh, structural and organizational uh, reasons for that. That is very difficult for players to shine individually when the structures around them, when the teams uh, set up, when the tactics, when the formation is not designed to get the best out of them 
or when there's uncertainty about what role they're going to play or what role the team is supposed to play, you know, switching formations mid-game. For some managers, you would say it shows uh, tactical flexibility and acumen, right? When Arsene yeah. Wenger does it, I'm not sure it's the same thing. It feels a bit more desperate. So I think the the, yeah. the reason so many players have been underwhelming is because of the overall problem that the team has had, rather than just we've got a collection of really terrible players. You know, I can, I can step back and I can see our problems and I can see problems with individuals, but I can also see how there's more to the players that we have than we've been seeing, which brings me to a question, actually, that I have here. Uh, oh, this is also from Matt Sanasi. Uh Two questions from Matt today. I feel bad because that means other people get left out, but I just think it's relevant to this discussion. Uh, this, this discussion. He says, let's okay. hit restart on this season. Which current Premier League manager, besides Wenger or Pep, takes this squad furthest in the league? Uh... Which which manager takes this squad furthest? Mm. But besides who? Pep and who? Wenger. Wenger. <laughs> um, I mean, you know the I answer. genuinely think there's a few. Yeah, there's a few. But what's the one that springs to mind most? Uh, Klopp for me, probably. Klopp. Yeah, maybe. I was thinking Pochettino. Yeah, maybe. The reason I said Klopp is simply that because when I look at our squad. Uh, I see such a strong attacking emphasis and I feel like he's the guy who could maximise that to the point where it could overcome some of the defensive deficiencies. I think like Pochettino's a brilliant coach actually, but I don't even know if we've got the players to play the way Pochettino requires. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah, maybe. Maybe so actually, yeah. But just in terms of, you know, what, what I was thinking of was in terms of organization and players knowing their jobs and knowing what it is that they're supposed to do. You can see that's very clear with this Tottenham side. You know, yeah, maybe you're right, actually, with the players that we have. Klopp would be a better fit. But I wonder perhaps if we might just be a bit more secure defensively uh, if someone like Pochettino got his hands on these players and actually worked with them um, defensively. I mean, I think what's, what's interesting is that I feel like there are several managers. I think you could potentially say... Klopp, you could potentially say uh, uh, Pochettino, you could say Conte. I think you could even maybe make cases for people further down the league, you know, people like Benitez. There's a lot of managers now who you feel like could get better performances out of this squad, and that speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, there we go. That's the uh, that's the reality of our situation, I think, that we're looking down the, the, the long and the short of it. Yeah, yeah. Pards. Husey, <laughs> Big Sam. I am. I, I am joking. Well, our steadfast <laughs> refusal refusal to acknowledge the existence even of Jose Mourinho. I think that's yeah, yeah. It's definitely the right call. Yeah, pretty good. You yeah. didn't mention Sean Dyche either. No, I didn't actually. I mean, I would. You know, I would just I find him. I just. I would find him so hard to listen to on a regular basis. He always sounds like no, he we- needs to cough. <laughs> Doesn't he? Difficult doing a podcast with him. He'd be like, "Are you going to answer this question, or are you going to clear your throat?" I never know. I never know. Yeah, Mister Mister, you done very well this week. You're great. I just, he just must just eat glass constantly. I've got no idea how he's ended up with that voice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you got one more? Have you got any more questions? Uh, let me have a look. Uh, I've got this one from Frederick Anderson. Okay. Who's F Anderson 90. And Frederick says, would you rather spend the rest of your life <laughs> with your fly down <laughs> or with an unevenly buttoned shirt on? 
Uh, an unevenly buttoned shirt, for sure. Really? Because bear in mind, with the fly, you could just always sit at a table and no one would know. But I can't spend the rest of my life sitting at a table. I've got to go out and... You know, that's always the streets. Yeah, that's always a worry, isn't it? When you you go out and you got your fly undone. But yeah, a, a, an unevenly buttoned shirt wouldn't bother me at all. Not at all. Really? Yeah, no. Don't care. Oh, fair, fair enough. Don't care. But do you do you get that thing? I get that thing with I with my jeans. I get this thing where there becomes a sort of point in the life of the jeans where the fly will just start going down like of its own will, uh, and it's sort of a continual risk for me yeah maybe i mean it depends on the uh, the quality of the jeans that you're buying i guess you know if you're buying jeans which have poor zipmanship then maybe that's it this this could be the problem you know maybe you just need to invest a little more in jeans that have good zips or buttons poppers i could get poppers Velcro, you get a little Velcro. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird that Velcro flies haven't, you know, taken off more. To be yeah. honest. It's, it's very dramatic and it makes quite a good sound, you know, when you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. You can't, you, you can't walk around your whole life with your fly down, can you? It's just perpetual embarrassment, perpetual awkwardness, potentially some sort of crime. <laughs> I think it has to be the shirt. <laughs> yeah, the shirt. I, you know, I, I'm not mad for shirts, generally speaking. No. I can see, I'm, I agree. I don't wear a lot of, I don't wear a lot of collars full stop. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously if you're wearing a suit, shirt is good, et cetera, et cetera. But I find shirts like an unconvincing item of clothing, generally speaking. They right. can be, this is a bit like when I said, I thought soup wasn't a food. So what, what's your, what's the issue with shirts then? I don't, they, they're, they're so varied in the shape, Right. That sometimes you look at a shirt on a shelf or on a on a mannequin and you go, oh, that's a nice shirt. I'll buy that. And then you go home and it just doesn't work. There's something right, wrong yeah. with it. Either the collar's too high, the sleeves are too long, it's not quite, maybe it's too baggy. I, you know, I just, I find shirts hard going. So I tend not to wear them. Yeah, that's a fair point, actually. It's difficult to get the fit right. Yeah. Because I don't have the body of a mannequin. Despite my best efforts. No, neither do I. Neither do I. Um, There we go. Yeah. Fashion. Maybe we should get our own tailors. This is what we were talking about a couple of weeks. You were going to become a tailor, remember? I mean, I don't even remember that, which is worrying, isn't it? That tells you how much... I think we were talking about about. what uh, what kind of career you might have. If you could choose any other skill, I think we decided you were going to be a tailor. Oh, yeah, I'd be fantastic. I could tailor your shirts for you. Perfect. Absolutely. What a wonderful uh, what a wonderful experience that would be. All right. <laughs> We're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Before we go, uh, I guess we've just got to say congratulations to the Arsenal women who are through to the FA Cup final next month against yeah. Chelsea. Congratulations to them. And Irish international uh, Louise Quinn scored the goal, which is great. Uh, nice to have an Irish international scoring for, for the Arsenal again. And uh, great, yeah, yeah. good suit. And the uh, the game is at Wembley, so Louise Quinn, yeah, uh, the game's at Wembley. Uh, it's a very big stadium, and if you fancy going to watch Arsenal in a cup final, I'm pretty sure you'd be able to get tickets. So it's May the fifth. Um, so there's not, a, there's not a men's game that day. So I hate it when the, the the matches clash. It's always a bit annoying, isn't it? I think we had that case uh, this weekend. No, I think we're playing. On... No, we're on the sixth against Burnley. Oh, the six point, the sixth place start. What a weekend that is! 
Wow. The two, the two cup finals. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, if you do fancy going along, uh, keep an eye, I'm sure, on arsenal.com. They'll have, uh, they'll have information on tickets and congratulations again to the Arsenal women for, for reaching the final. And hopefully they'll beat the, uh, the dastardly Chelsea uh, to, to lift the trophy again. So, well done. Mm. That's it. Uh, we will have a podcast on Friday. There's no midweek football this week, so it'll be a regular Arsecast on Friday. Join us for that. James and I will be here next week with a with an Arsecast extra following the West Ham game on Sunday. It's a shame we have to play on Sunday again, isn't it? You know, we have this I weekend know. where we don't have European football. We could we could have a game on a Saturday. That'd be nice for a change. Apparently not. No, we're stuck on Sundays. So uh, join us next week for that. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. 